I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1971, the album. I think we're all bozos on this bus. The artist, the Firesign Theater, and my guest this week is David Trailer, a.k.a. Mr. Zed, a.k.a. David Zed, a.k.a. David Kirk Trailer. Look, we covered them all. Yeah, how about that? So Lots of, lots of names. For real. <laughs> now, I, it, it's interesting <laughs> because I know I had seen, I must have, based on all the clips that are on uh, YouTube of, of yourself in character as an Android, Android stand-up comedian, uh, I right. must have Zed. yes, I must have seen you as a kid. Um, I, I yeah. know that has to have happened, but I rediscovered I, you I only weeks ago. Oh well, I'm I'm glad you did. Me too. <laughs> uh, I did back in the 1990s. I did a whole the whole uh, rash of uh, television programs there in the United States. Uh, I did uh, uh, the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I was the first comedian he had on, or new comedian he had on. Wow. Uh, I did it, uh, Regis and Kathy Lee, which was a program, daytime program, which was very big at that time. In fact, it amazed me that it seemed more people saw that than saw The Tonight Show. That was an important night show because he had just taken over. Sure. Wow. Yeah, it was. It's, it's amazing. At daytime TV, I, I, I didn't think anybody watched it, but it really was uh, revealing uh, how many people saw that. Yeah. Because you know, people would comment about that and, and much more than they would comment on The Tonight Show. Which was, a, a, I would have thought, the bigger deal. But what the hell? Yeah, you you would. I mean, that this. So maybe. So were you there? You you go on to the Tonight Show literally on the day that people now talk about is the day the Tonight Show changes. Like when it was Johnny, it was like you got your shot on Johnny. You had a sitcom the next day, practically. So yeah. So did you? Now I'm curious. I mean, I'm I'm assuming you had enough lead time to know you were not going to go on Johnny Carson's Tonight Show. You knew this was a oh, new yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it was you know one of those uh, those shot in the dark things. Jay saw my tape and really liked it and got back to me the week before we went on. Yeah. Wow. All uh, right. So it was like wow. We knew the change of, the change of the guard was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the his show was with the old comedians. You know, I think with uh, Robin Williams and uh, uh, Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to, to, to shove off on the first real night, the his first night as, as you know, on his own was uh, in uh, uh, was when I was on. So that, that had permeation. Uh, I also did a lot of the, the cable programs, too. Uh, I did an evening at the Improv. Uh, I did uh, uh, oh, Caroline's Comedy Hour for A&E. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I did Showtime's Comedy Club Network. Uh, I did all, all the, at that time. This is we're talking about the 1990s. There were a whole lot of, of a whole lot of stand-up on on television uh, because it was so cheap for producers. You know, sure. they had put up the mic, and they didn't have, even have to put up the mic. They put it in a comedy club. They'd set up the, the cameras in a comedy club, and uh, that would be it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the you know you, you didn't get any real well i suppose i'm supposed to be getting residuals for that but you don't that hmm. that, that never became an issue of course <laughs> of course uh, oh. and sometimes it was difficult to get paid once you'd done it anyway mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, i remember one but I, won't, I won't mention the cable network but uh it took me about a year and a half to get paid and they were like really uh, angry at me for being so insistent really but <laughs> yeah oh god uh, yeah so how? Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. No. Okay. So when when you started, well, actually, let's start about your start in in stand up. Did you start stand up comedy as a as a fake android, or what's what's the development of that character? Well, it's a long story, tale told by idiot. Uh, <laughs> I started when I was like fourteen. Holy uh, cow! All I was right. Actually, in a co- coffee shop in Quakertown, Pennsylvania, but I had always wanted to be a comedian. Uh, the first things I did were a lot like I was a big George Carlin fan and I still am as I think every comedian in my, my generation is and, mm-hmm. and was, uh, but, but evolved, evolved from that. Mm-hmm. I did impressions, uh, things like Bob Dylan at the time, of course, which was appropriate for a coffee shop, Sure, a coffee shop, I mean, a coffee house, <laughs> which is a big difference. Coffee shop is a different animal, but anyway, um, 
And living in Philadelphia at that time, as I did, there was uh, a whole lot of university campuses. Uh, there was Temple University in North Philadelphia. There was uh, University of Pennsylvania, uh, Drexel. Jeez, uh, uh, there were several on the main line. Um, and there were places that could be played. It was uh, uh, a difficult sell, though, because technically speaking, well, not just technically speaking, I was a minor. Uh-huh. Uh, so if there's alcohol being served, I had to be discreet. Right, right. But more than more than anything else, I was in uh, in the summers. I was in New York, running a, a Baskin Robbins in Greenwich Village uh, every day, every night except Thursday, when the Improv had their uh, well, no cover night, and uh, <clears throat> you know, basically again going in with a fake beard, uh, hoping <laughs> no one will notice I'm uh, <laughs> I'm underage. Nobody really bothered in this New York City in the 1970s. Uh huh. They, they the police had other things to worry about. Sure. <laughs> Thank oh goodness. My God. Uh, which is actually where I first saw Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. I was amazed with Jay Leno too, because with all the people who, would, who who I would see on those Thursday nights, uh, he would he would have been the guy I would have been would have thought was least likely to be the success that he was. Uh huh. But you know, there you go. Uh, oh, uh, what was his name? Um, the guy who did Taxi. Um. um oh wait the. One of the stars. Oh, the Andy Kaufman? Andy Kaufman, yeah. Andy Kaufman was there, and uh, uh, Elaine Boozler, uh-huh. who I really, uh, really admired at the time. She really knew how to write a set that was tight. Uh-huh. Uh, I, th- I don't think she ever got uh, credit for all that she did, really. She was she was really amazing, amazing comedian. Man, uh, anyway, that's, that's a time, though. That's a time to be starting in stand-up, and they're... <laughs> Yeah, it's stories like yours that are that are the ones that are missing now that they're doing dramatizations of uh, late '70s comedy, where they're probably you couldn't have been the only minor sneaking into these clubs and trying to get up on stage. Yeah, well, at that at that time in, at the Improv, I wasn't trying to get on stage. I was just trying to see how the you know the real guys did it. Oh, okay, you know? okay, sure. So you're just there as a all right. Yeah, interesting. Um, and it was it was a good education that way. Yeah, I would later do. Uh, the uh, evening at the Improv, which was, uh, of course, in California. This was back in. This was wouldn't be though until the 1990s, uh, with the Zed character. But that Zed, the Zed character, really, uh, he became part of a sketch I would do later on uh, in the 70s, uh, and the audience re- uh, responded to it very well. But he really matured when I moved abroad. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I got a scholarship to uh, go abroad. It was a mistake more than anything else because my grades weren't that good. Quite <laughs> I had a radio program in Philadelphia, uh, the, the campus radio, which was WTDR in Philadelphia. That was uh, uh, North Philadelphia. Uh, I was at Temple University, and I got a scholarship, uh, kind of a warm body scholarship, if you will, mm-hmm. to go abroad. And I chose Italy uh, because it's like uh, basically because it's Disneyland for historians. I was I was always interested in history. Um, when I got here, I found a whole new world. Um, and I, I risked my ticket getting back because, you know, the again, we're, we're running on the cheap as a student. Sure. Uh, it's a discount, discounted student student rate for the, the, the flight over. Uh, but in order to uh, to stay a couple of weeks without Little America on my tail, uh, I had to gamble two hundred dollars that uh, I could raise two hundred dollars in two weeks to have to have those two extra weeks here. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. But I, you know, I, I had been a busker. Uh, using mime technique, uh, mime on the streets of Philadelphia and New York uh, back. This is back in the seventies, and I was doing robotic mime before it was uh, the, the cliche that it became. Interesting. Uh, and um, it, it kind of came to a, a mix. I, I got stranded once in Florence with uh, um, an artist. Well, he's a, an art student at the time, uh, and I started busking with no costume no nothing just his pad and a, a circle and a couple of lira that we had in our pocket <laughs> to give people the idea that they were supposed to give up money and they really responded very big time here wow uh, i had of course i had come to this country it meaning italy with uh, 200 dollars in traveler's checks because uh-huh. that's all i had um i had found however a, a job in a, working in radio here in in in, uh, in rome at the radio daily american uh, I had already knew how to you know, run the turntables and all that. Uh, it, we didn't pay much, uh, but people were here were interested and, and wanted to hear in English uh, the DJ. And of course, I would ruthlessly exploit the occasion to develop material. Sure. Um, 
And, of course, uh, it, it paid, I think, 30 euros uh, a week, which wasn't much, but it was certainly better than nothing. And it was something I knew how to do, and it did, it, it did okay. But in the day, I was working as a mime. At night, I was working with as a voice. So it was very odd in that sense. Uh, a silence by day and, and talking altogether too much by night. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's fascinating, though. I... So, okay, so you're, if, if you're doing the robotic mime thing, it had never occurred to me, I wonder when the hell it got its start, but I want to know what made you want to do this. Mime is a thing existed. And then what what did you see growing up that was like, this could be adapted for mime? Did you see other people doing similar stuff? Not, not at the very beginning. Uh, I got I'd always knew, I always knew I wanted to be a comedian, and I was always looking for, you know, uh, uh, anything that would put me on that that track uh, in the 70s in uh, my my family had moved to Brigantine, New Jersey. And in Brigantine, New Jersey, there was a, an amusement castle, uh, a horror castle, horror for the whole family. Uh-huh. Uh, I was Dracula 12 hours a day there. Wow. And there was a mannequin, a Frankenstein mannequin that moved uh, moved its arms. And uh, just originally just to joke around with uh, my fellow monsters there. I'd go in for, for my paycheck and, and imitate the Frankenstein uh, mannequin. <laughs> and then I, I, just playing with it and realizing, you know, I, I, I'm, I have a short attention span, so I get bored really easy. But there was something I always had with me, which was my body. Sure. And I, I, as I waited in line for anything, I would be practicing new, new techniques, putting, putting things together with it. It's interesting to, to me to see that I can see, you know, the evolution. And if I look at old recordings... I, I see the mistakes I make because I'm always checking out my 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 movements. You'll see this too in 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 others. I think uh, if you see them leaning over and watching their arms, uh -huh. it's because they don't their 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 muscle memory yet. But right. anyway, uh, that and that's that's uh, that's so much of what it is too, right? You have to nail it. Has to feel like your arm just went back to the same exact place it went to five seconds ago when you did that when you did that same punchline again. Because I know you at, at least in the old clips I've seen, you know, you you've got a couple callbacks that you do, but that callback depends on you doing it exactly the same way every time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, it, it, it's 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 muscle memory. Yeah. Man, that's tough. That is, I mean, it's 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 a it, that's a simple way to put it. But it, it is like, the the more when I watch it too, it's just it's impressive because I'm like I know I could not do it. Uh, I had I had done uh, mime uh, as part of as theatrical movement, uh, but I, I thought that my teachers were so full of uh, shit. Uh huh. Uh, I, I had I had also been a ballerina a dancer. Uh, mm -hmm. a ballet dancer, classic dancer when I was when I was young against my will, but you know uh, <laughs> that too, uh, along with the, the the theatrical training, if you can call it that, mm -hmm. uh, taught one thing, and I I went exactly in the opposite direction uh, with Zed because Zed instead of being fluid movements is exactly the opposite, yeah, and instead of projecting, which is essential for any actor uh, to project. Uh, especially if you're in theater, uh, uh, a Z presentation, even in, the, in, in its primordial form, was a question of keeping vibrations from getting out, meaning that you, you, we all exchange vibes at all given times. You know, your, yeah. your, body, your body language tells, tells things on a subconscious level, but you just feel the vibe and the, the come and go from, from other people. Well, Z is exactly the opposite of that. It's to, to, to um, hide any vibration you might have so that people think of you as an object, not as, you know, uh, uh, another human being. Right. Uh, which of course leads, leads to a lot of the comedy, especially when I was a busker, meaning working the streets, you know, uh, as a street performer, I guess. Can you say busker in America now? People understand <laughs> what that means? I think so. I, I do think so now. Yeah. I, I don't think I, you know, it's so funny. I don't know when I learned that term, but it was not something I grew up with, but I do, I feel mm -hmm. like it's, it's, it has uh, made its way into the, the lexicon within the last few years maybe maybe just because the internet's making us more international maybe is that possible that could be that could be maybe i don't know how about cheers now the brits say cheers all the time and i like it but i i, I don't I, I never heard any americans say it uh you know when you 
I will tell you a lot of a lot of Americans do that I know, but I well I don't want to say what I was about to say because they're usually very kind people, but it sounds pretentious. But I like uh, it. I like it when it's from an English person or if you know I'll give you a pass. You, you know you live in Europe, so you're allowed <laughs> to do it. Um, <laughs> but there are, there are a lot of hipsters I know who will say cheers, and I I directly want to question them, but that's just because I'm an angry little boy on the inside. It's it has. Right. But to answer your question, it is over here. Okay, <laughs> I, I was told by a, a, a Brit, a friend, Brit friend of mine, um, last spring that it actually came from Cheerio, that which would be sense. even more present, presumptuous, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, oh, I think Cheerio. So. <laughs> I mean, touch, touch. At, at, at that point, if you're an American saying Cheerio, you might as well have a monocle on. That is, that's the <laughs> that's the difference. If you're English, yeah. you get a pass. Um, yeah. Holy cow! So. Uh, and I apologize to anybody listening who's upset that we haven't talked about the album yet, but the album is relevant and I think will play a part in talking about the development of Zed a little bit. I mean, it's about, it's one of the first things that ever, this album's one of the first pop culture things to ever feature a hacker at all. Um, mm -hmm. So, and, we'll, and the, for me, if I may just inter interject, it was please. the first time I'd ever heard of a hologram. Really? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, this is 1971. There were not a lot of holograms around, you know? Sure. Yeah, you were, you were a <laughs> bit young. Or, or, well, in my mind, I feel like you're a bit young to be listening to, because there are people who were in college at the time you would have been listening to this, and you were a, quite a bit younger than that when this comes out. Yeah. Did you hear yeah. it when it first came out, or did you hear it later on in life? No, I was 71, yeah. Wow, okay. That was, I the, the uh, waiting for the electrician. I I heard after it had been out for a long time, but, uh -huh. but Bozo's. I remember that coming out and being a big deal. That's amazing. What? Who exposed you to Firesign? Or did you discover them on your own? Well, and in, in, uh, in high school, uh, I was in a, a band, a high school band, the Chicken Fat Ripple. Uh huh. I was a singer. <laughs> from so, you know, uh, you you could say that, and I do bits between between songs. Uh huh. Uh, and the drummer, a guy, uh, 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 Jim Manessis, uh, who's a, a drummer to this day, mm -hmm. uh, at, at practice, he had he he had the the records, and he was the guy that turned me on to them. And I'll always be uh, in his debt for that. That's uh, wonderful. It's I love when it's a I, friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, Jim is the kind of guy who'd be listening, by the way, to this type of top, uh, this type of of of. of uh, what do you call this? A, a podcast? Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, he'd be so he might be out there listening somewhere. So if you are Jim, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so what did it? Because I will tell you, as a young man listening to Fire Sign, I I didn't get it. It took me a while to get into Fire Sign. It it also took me knowing Phil Proctor and interviewing him about it, and then getting to this album actually kind of blew my mind in a new way. Uh, so I'm glad you mm -hmm. picked this one. But I'm wondering, like, what was it? Just the absurdity? Was there something specific that hit you as a young man? Oh, I loved it. It was it was uh, again a revelation. First of all, the, the things that the, the Firesign Theater joked about were not things that you heard joked about on television sure. ever. Sure, you know uh, the the whole idea that that everything you know could be wrong. In fact, later on, they actually have an, a, 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 an LP called that. Uh -huh. Everything you know is wrong. But but the, the, from the very beginning, there's that suggestion that that just about everything you know is wrong. Uh, and that delighted me because I had that inkling as well. Uh, yeah. And to hear it from someone else to hear, and to hear it done so much better than I could have ever done it, you know, so much more eloquent. The closer you listen, the more things you hear. Uh, just before we started recording, uh, I was listening to, to Bozo's and I was listening. I finding finding things that even back then and I played this record again and again and again that I don't remember getting. Yeah, it just it was it was it, all of a sudden I don't know it's like you're 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 your first year studying piano and all of a sudden uh, you you hear a, a Mozart's concerto and you go wow this is cool <laughs> <laughs> this is way out there I love it you know the the the, the jokes were so smart and, and you know I had I didn't get them and I delighted in not getting them until I got them and then sure. I delighted in getting them having 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 walked over. That, that joke before not realizing it was a joke or an implication, you know, it just, just, just oh, wow. It's like, a, a, you know, MC Escher. Yeah. The, uh, the artist, you know, looking at his work, uh, the fire sign theater with that for me. In fact, uh, you know, uh, again, back in the, the New York days, I, I worked in the, um, um, 
the mailroom at WBAI in New York. Oh, you did? Uh, okay. Because Joe Proctor worked. Yeah, I never got on the air. Uh-huh. Uh, but I was, you know, this again, I was in high school. And uh, <clears throat> this was like, wow, you know, this is where Phil Proctor worked. Uh, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I hate to interrupt, but we'll have to talk about this more later. You just blew my mind. WBAI has entered so many things that I have in the, just in the last two months, it has become a huge Mm -hmm. part of some research I've been doing. And I had no idea that it's never come up with Phil before when I've spoken with him. And I now love that you were in the mail room there. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But this was after, after, you know, I mean, they were already big in LA and all that. Sure. You know, I was. I was I was the kid. Uh-huh. <laughs> I never met him. I wouldn't meet him until uh, well, I guess about three or four years ago. Really? Yeah. Was he? Uh, he liked me in Italy. Yeah. Okay. And we were friends on Facebook. Okay. And I dropped him a line, and uh, we got together and hit it off like a, a house on fire. Again, you know, it's like a <laughs> maestro. <laughs> right. Right. Of course. Wow. Yeah, that's... I showed him my work. He liked my work. I like, of course, it was pretty obvious I liked his. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm so curious about, because, I mean, I feel like if you told somebody, okay, uh, listen to this album, get it, get a feel for it, and then watch this guy who's playing a robot stand-up comedian, I think the connection makes perfect sense, uh, especially considering that they are not afraid of puns, they're not afraid of they're not afraid of just ridiculously silly jokes. You're doing this yes. thing as Mr. Zed where you're not like going out of your way to tell like super edgy jokes. You're telling the jokes a robot would tell. Isn't that, did that ever feel risky or were you just like, no, this is, I'm committing to this. I, I'm committing. I, I was always, I'm committing to this because this is what's right. Yeah. You know, and, and even, even that, you know, even the, the even the silences, in, in the act. And, oh, and yeah. Some people, when they see the, the, the nightclub act, they say, well, I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, well, and that's kind of kind of what I'm looking for. Yeah. Uh, you should laugh if, you, if, if it naturally uh, occurs to you. Yeah. Uh, but if, if, it, if you don't get it, that's okay. Watch mm-hmm. it again. Yeah. You it, know, the, 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 the Fire Sign Theater had that effect on all my work. In fact, I did a kid's show here in the 1990s, the late 90s. Uh-huh. Uh, which is you can see uh, on uh, um, on uh, YouTube now, not not the whole thing, just pieces from it. But uh, it's m- the Mr. Zed channel where you can see uh, a lot of a lot of the work, and it is along the lines of the Fire Sand Theater, but done for kids, kids and adults. Okay, it's uh, it, the idea was to write for both kids and adults. Uh, in my generation, uh, we had Rocky and Bullwinkle. Sure. Uh, in my kids' generation, we had uh, Shrek. If you ever see those films, they're written on two levels. One is, of course, for mom and dad, and one is uh, for uh, for kids. And uh, again, with the, with the attention of Fire Sign Theater, and not as good as them. I don't I don't want to imply that at all, but I do want to say that it 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 it, it, it so struck the way I thought and the way I wrote from from then on that they you know reward the careful listener. Yeah. Because there's there are things that are hidden, and the idea is you can see this more than once, and it, you, it's it's not boring. Right. I thought that was a brilliant a, a brilliant device that, that that they did that they came up with, and so that's in my kids show too. Uh, the kids show, by the way, was was uh, supposed to go on, um, uh, well, kind of a Saturday morning kind of event, uh, uh-huh. but the, the network it was like one of the only things that they produced, and so they put it on late night, and they found that they had an even <laughs> bigger follow late night than they did during kid the kitty hour that's so funny i mean i mean that's i mean honestly that's how adult swim functions i mean they 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 put some stuff on that might might pass as children maybe some of it might pass as children's programming but definitely you know tracks for adults there you said something though that is i i wonder and you can comment on this better than i could uh if you were just doing stand-up as yourself would you mm-hmm. be would you be afraid of those gaps of those silences? Does the character help separate you from it? Oh, yeah. Or yeah, oh yeah. If, 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 as a comedian, it's disastrous. Yeah, you know, but not for Zed. For I Zed that. counts on that. Uh huh. He's counting on you not to get it, to be shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't want to ruin it for you because for people who haven't seen it. Uh, again, it's it's uh, it's on my my Z channel, the Mr. Z channel as well. There's a, a program I did for the BBC, uh, just a piece of a program I did with the BBC, 
um, to give you an idea what my my standup was like. So yeah. if you know if if you're at all interested, um, I know. Subscribe to the, the web channel, the web channel, the, the YouTube channel, Mr. Zed. Yes, please do. No, it's 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 enjoyable to watch. It's just it's a thing that that I again, no, nobody's done. And I, I like the idea that you have the opportunity to kind of not hide behind the character. But there is like there is this protective layer where you get to play, I think, more than maybe a lot of stand up comics do. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, in, in a sense, it's like going in with armor. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> it's uh, it, 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 uh, the it, it's it, 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 the thing is, the, the whole, I don't know, I guess, concept. Of, and again, in the, the 90s version was that it was a time of, you know, every every um, cable channel had their stand up uh, hour or half hour. Mm -hmm. uh, and and the what struck me was that uh, all the comedians, even the women comedians, for the most part, were all the same comedian. They were all like a uh, oh, how can I put this? Uh, um, a Xerox <laughs> of a Xerox of a Xerox of a fax <laughs> uh, of each other. Uh, Seinfeld, basically, they were all. They were all Seinfeld in one way or another. Right. Uh, uh, to joke about them being clones. Sure. Because they were. And the thing is, the whole machine of the stand-up, the stand-up scene was, you know, if, if you had a, the the the, um, the the clubs that if if Joe couldn't make it, get Bob. He uh -huh. does. A, he does. The, they're not the same jokes, but it's essentially the same point of view. Right. You know, Joe and Bob are exactly the same. That that worked against me. Big time because Zed was, you know, you couldn't just put on another guy. Uh huh. You know, because Larry is not the same as Zed. Larry may be the same as Joe and Bob, and but the thing is, you 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 you, if it's modular, that's what you want. For sure. You don't want anything that the people are not expecting. Yeah. At least that was the point of view of many of these places. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it was it was it was frustrating, but at the same time, it was also okay. This is natural selection. Right. Yeah. You know? right. I used to like like I said I did I did stand up for a long time there in the states. Uh, and one time I was do, doing a, a black club in Philadelphia. Mhm. Mm uh, the funny book there in Philadelphia. Oh sure. Uh, and and there were implications that I did not foresee. Uh because I mean with a with a full black audience and the club had had you know oh, what what I did not know uh, at that time was it people people knew that it was a black club I didn't know and I I just didn't, you know I had my own material I don't do any racist stuff I never did yeah you know that's never that's never struck me as funny but at the same time I realized I'm in a different context sure. in this case and the audience was really shocked and I was I was going uh oh uh -huh. am I somehow saying some stuff or implying stuff that I don't mean that's pissing people off okay sure you know uh. And these big guys from the back of the audience come out at the end of the show because I'm, I'm I'm also emceeing it. I'm going, uh oh, here it comes. Mm -hmm. And a guy comes up to me and grabs me by the hand and says, "Man, that was funny shit." <laughs> <laughs> so were buddies, and I was really <sighs> relieved, uh, very relieved, because again, uh, I'm a white guy, clearly a white guy, and Zed's accent is clearly white, white, white. Yeah. he's a robot, you know. Um, and, and, and I'm wearing makeup that makes me, that's not a white face, like a, a, a mime it's, but it is, you know, mannequin, mannequin white guy. Sure. So, you know, that, that, that first night, that first evening, I remember going through my mind, uh Oh, could this, does this have some meaning that I don't mean it to have? Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you're it not just, used to that was, environment, that would throw you. Yeah. But you know, they, they turn out to be a good, they've always been a good audience for Zed actually. Um, you, but again, uh, this was my first in, in stand-up in a, a fully black club. Yeah. We, there were there were uh, there were audiences that were fully black in uh, in L.A. Mm -hmm. at the comedy store, but that was over. You know, that was a different kind of a thing because you know you, I, you were playing with with uh, with other comics. You know, it was kind of ex there was more of, of a mix, if you will, uh, at the store. And it, one of the great things about the comedy store is that it is a, it or it was. I'm sure I would think it still is. A place for character comedy, uh -huh. uh, and and that's always been kind of the thing that that made it stand out as opposed to the the improv, uh, which was more like straight 
straight comedy. Can you say that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> what do you or think? Like cor- corporate comedy, I guess. Where's the Where's the appeal? Uh, why do you think uh, Zed works so well in Europe? I mean, it, it, does he work better? Like, it just it seems like it sounds like you've made a lot of uh, television opportunities and things over there. Is it just because you're there and you're pushing to get Zed working, or do you think he has more appeal uh, to a European audience? I'm curious. I think he does um, have more appeal to a European audience. At least he has in the past. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Because um, I think that they they have uh, more of a tradition here of uh, cabaret. Okay. Of uh, uh, vaudeville, if you will. Vaudeville lasted here longer, I think, than it did stateside. Right. Although when I when I was a little boy, vaudeville was dead. Um, I remember, you know, all guys on buses, you know, would, you know, they needed to talk to talk to somebody and complain about something about the politicians and you know it's, it's a problem, <laughs> kids today and and you know once once you got about five minutes into the conversation, you know, I was in vaudeville. <laughs> was part of it. I think Robert Klein did a, a piece like that where he, he he has a character do that. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, that sounds about right. But it, it, was, it was it was amazing, amazing. But here it wasn't that much that way. It wasn't a dead thing. One of the gigs I got early on was in um, a club here in Rome, uh, where they were basically doing uh, a kind of vaudeville. It was kind of a, a, a sleazy kind of vaudeville, at least. Uh, by what I had imagined vaudeville to have been, okay. having not not seen it, but again, as a fan of the Marx Brothers and, and Fields and you know and and those guys from the 30s and the the, the 20s, you know that they, they all they all did vaudeville. That was the the, the route. Yeah, uh, great school. It was a really great school for comedy. I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of crap. Yeah, but uh, and pe- but people went to it. There's no television and radio really hadn't taken on yet. I don't think. Uh, and if it did, you know, it was still better. You, you're you're sitting around on a chair looking at the radio. Yeah. Uh, when you go into the theater, you're walking, you're watching a real act, a real guy do a real thing, and you know, having shows night after night after night was, you know, the way to develop comedy. Hey everybody, it's Jason. This week, Comedy on Vinyl is proudly sponsored by $300 Data Recovery. And there's a very good reason for that. Uh, That's because there would be no episode this week without them. And we'd have had to start the entire show from scratch if we hadn't found out about their services. So as you probably saw online a few weeks ago, my hard drive crashed. That was six terabytes, almost a million files, and they recovered everything for me. Uh, This was not an easy order either. I had four drives in one enclosure in a RAID setup, meaning you can't just plug in the drives and copy stuff over. They took my drives, examined them, determined whether or not they needed to open my drives up in their clean room. Luckily, they didn't for me, which sped some things up. And then they copied everything over to a very large USB drive for me. The rates are reasonable, as little as $300 a drive, hence the name. And they don't just work locally. You can send your drives into them. So go to $300DataRecovery.com. That's the number 300, then $DollarDataRecovery.com. Check them out, and once you do, back that stuff up again. That's a big thing. Um, I had a hard drive that was supposed to be foolproof, and it wasn't. And uh, $300 Data Recovery helped me out, saving 26-plus years of writing, art, photos, videos, everything, including this podcast. So check out $300 Data Recovery and let them know that Jason from Comedy on Vinyl sent you. Now, back to the show. Is it too much of a leap to say, I mean, does this album, does the Bozos album have any direct reflection on, I mean, what kind of a tech guy were you, are you, does this influence Zed at all specifically, or is it just a nice coincidence that one of your favorite albums does also happen to relate to you you playing a robot a ton? Quite frankly, I don't know. I never, you know, I've never tried to psych myself out like that, but uh-huh. I liked it. I also... By the way, I, it's not the only album of the Fire Sand Theater that I loved. I also, you know, I have a, a soft part, in my soft piece of my heart. Uh, can you say that? Doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, anyway, I really liked uh, "Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hammy the Pliers" as sure. well. One of my favorites. It's brilliant. Um, but the, I mean, but but you know, it was it's it, it's an it's an effect. It's uh, uh, it's something that goes into your mind. And when it has something like that has that kind of uh, uh, of impact, it stays with you. Of course, uh, it does. Yeah, whether it, you recognize it or not. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. I mean, are there? It's so funny because when I talk to people about Fire Sign, it it, it does come down to uh, if if there aren't distinct sketches, it's hard to be like, what's your favorite part of the album? What's your favorite? But are there things that you still quote or you you can catch yourself thinking about from this album? Like, what's the stuff that stands out the most? on the Bozo's album for you? 
animals without backbones <laughs> hid from each other and fell over. <laughs> and now I might, might be getting that wrong because it's been a long time. Um, oh, geez. A Clem. Uh, the, the, the Nixon impression. Many busy executives ask me, <laughs> what about the job displacement market in the world of the future? Well, with any luck, in the future, we'll never have to deal with questions like that again. <laughs> Exit left to Funway. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's so total. It's what you get now, really. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever had to deal with an automated menu. Sure, you know, yeah. If, if your problem is about uh, is uh, about Renaissance French, press one now. <laughs> you know, if it's about the development of mammals in the late crustacean period, press two now. <laughs> you finally get to three if you need to speak to an operator. Okay, and of course you will. Of course. But the machine acts as if it's not expecting that, and you know you get that doo doo. Do, 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 do. We're working to make you lose your patience. Please hold the line. Are you still there? Your business is important to us. Please hold the line. A clam. So, what can I do for you? A clam. I loved it. You know. Again, I there was a time when I could have recited the whole album for you, but like it's been so long since that I you know I I just remember. Uh, what comes to mind immediately, uh, but it, it's definitely printed on my psyche. Well, I mean, that's it too. The more I think about it, the more this is an album that is 40 minutes of painting this world and there are jokes in it, but it does, it, yep. it paints this whole picture and I know there's a story, but I don't think of it in terms of a story. I, I think of it in terms of the world that they've created and, and loosely what's going on in it. You know, it's because mm -hmm. it's so dense. Uh, it's not dissimilar, honestly, to doing mime, to doing something like that, where you're supposed to suck them into this idea that you're a robot, and whatever mm -hmm. happens in the middle of it is kind of incidental. The idea is you just saw a robot try to be funny, and I think that's kind yeah. of fun. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just it. It's like with art, there, there's often, you know... I don't know if somebody asked me today, hey, what's the story of I think Earl Bose is on this bus? I know there's a story, but I would immediately go into the details that mean something to me more than anything mm -hmm. else. Um, and I, I like that well, about, you know, this weird art sketch comedy that is not really a thing that anybody else did. Yeah, it really is. It's unique. Well, you know, at, at, at the same time, well, uh, from in my life a little bit later, we, we had access to uh, Monty Python, first by records, and then by the TV show. Oh, okay. Uh, but it was, you know, the, the first the first contact with Monty Python uh, was in, in a very similar sense, uh, close to um, the Firestein Theater. Although the Firestein Theater at least arrived to me first. Ah. Uh -huh. I don't know exactly because I, you know, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in Britain. I'd never been to Britain in the, that part of my life. But again, they too, uh, you know, had a, a massive effect on a massive. Um, uh, influence on everybody that came afterwards sure i think is there just, it was just brilliant so you heard there I, I don't know that too many people who that i know of or who've mentioned it that heard the python albums before they saw the show did you see, just hear the album that had clips from the show or did you hear do you happen to remember the first thing you heard of theirs oh geez not this record yeah uh, it started off with not this record not this record, uh, matching tie and handkerchief. Oh yeah, I believe was the yeah uh, that I remember. Although I'm not really certain. Again, that once the TV show made it to America, uh, I realized that a lot of their sketches from the records were originally done for TV. Right. Uh, and of course, we were very happy to have it. Originally, they were on public broadcasting because you know it wasn't considered commercial. Uh, then of course it did go commercial. Sure. And, uh, and they cut out they they cut out pieces wherever they liked to fit in the commercials, which is there was insane. actually a big lawsuit over that. Yeah, and we I think one. Yeah, it's great. I, we talked. We had a gentleman on a couple weeks ago who is kind of a, not kind of. He definitely is a Python historian and has written a, 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 a just re released his book on them to add some new stuff. But yeah, he he was talking about. I hadn't. I knew nothing about that. I didn't realize they'd even tried to bring it to commercial TV, and somehow art won out. That that wouldn't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. You know. Things have changed a lot. I mean, TV has changed a lot. Um, 
just in the last 10 years. Sure. Uh, well, you know, George Carlin's thing about the the, the, the 10 things or 12 things, you, words you can never say on television. Uh-huh. Oh, you can say them on television now, it seems. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, yeah uh, there's a good deal of them that have made their way in. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but again, going back to the AI, you remember the big case with that? Somebody played it on the radio, on WBAI in New York, and there was a big suit about that. The, now, the voice you de you developed for Zed, is that your radio voice, but through this filter of a robot, or is it something else? Well, you know, uh, it came it came to me. Uh, as I was developing the character, this is back uh, many years ago, when uh, all of a sudden we had, uh, it was a, a trend that didn't last very long because it didn't work very well. But cars had like you know, voice chips in them. And I was in Italy already. And the voice chips, of course, were, were done by the same people, they, whether it was their language or not. Mm -hmm. And it was done, you know, like Dora Jar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they they had a, this ridiculous American accent. Did not this this lasted for like a year, maybe two. Uh, but I, I I thought that was funny and and added another dimension to what Zed would be like, you know. Yeah. Uh, I did a, a television program for the Italians in in, in the eighties, which was uh, a live program, so it was a lot of improvisation. I I wrote a sketch every day uh, for it, but a lot of it was it was since it was a, a talk show. Uh, we had guests and, and it was fully live. So you, we really didn't know exactly how it was going to go any day that it happened. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, it, it was a big hit, by the way. We had uh, 20 million people a night, a day at, at the height, uh, in a country that only has 60 million people. That's I means if you didn't see it, somebody in your family did. Wow. That's um, insane. And it was, it was, it was a great opportunity. It was also a, a good school. Uh, in terms of improvisation, and of course, doing it in a foreign language and doing it as uh, you know, as Zed, who who became even more like a Marx, a synthetic Marx brother, uh -huh. and that all of a sudden I'm Chico Marx in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember? Well, for those of you, those uh, of your listeners who have never seen a Marx Brothers movie, sure, or or, or listened to a Marx Brothers record, yeah, uh, he had a, a fake Italian accent. Well, I had I I I. I hyped my American accent up a couple uh, to, to have that same effect with the Italians. I well, love you know, it. It's, it's like a mirror, if you will, uh -huh. of what he did with the Italian accent with the Americans. I did the American accent with the Italians. That's so good. And, of course, making ridiculous mistakes in, in, in terms of, you know, mistaking one word for another. Uh, it, 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 it was, a, uh, I'm told, a vaudeville uh, staple. Uh, so, but it, when you've got 360 of these programs to do, uh, and, you, and you've got, you've got to follow back on something, well, the audience loved it anyway. Yeah. And so did I, I loved working out these, these, these word plays, uh, simple ones, but also because I was learning, just learning to, to, to write comedy in Italian at the time. Uh, but it worked, you know, the combination of the character and the, 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 the attention. Of course, that was also something that no one had ever seen here before. Right. Wow. Or since. <laughs> that's that's insane. Perhaps there's a good reason. <laughs> who uh, th I, I'd like to. There's a technical thing I want to ask about, and that is, who made your hair? Who makes your hair? And who made the suit? And who still makes the suit? Because what the hell? That's some. That's some. Like that sells it. That's a huge part yeah. of it. Oh yeah. Well, the the, the hair. I the hair. Zed went through an, an, an evolution, and the hair came to me because I was doing a gig in Nice. And I saw this kind of antique store that had a mannequin, and his hair was, you know, clearly just sculpted in, in, in into his head. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it was the common use back then. It was like the 1920s. And I said, this is what Zed should look like. And so I went around with this. I would draw it for people, and some people would just say, no, it's like a wig. No, it's not a wig. It's <laughs> got to be solid chunk. Yeah. A solid chunk. So I'm sorry, I don't understand what you mean. I finally did catch up with a guy who turned out, he, he had been a Zed fan from before, uh, Reno Carboni. Reno Carboni uh, was a craftsman, a great Italian craftsman in the classic sense of this, you know, a, a, an artisan. Uh, he had done, I, I discovered only afterwards, all the movies for Fellini, wow. uh, the Sergio Leone, all the uh, spaghetti westerns. Oh, my God. We became great friends. And he helped me put together the makeup for that next step in evolution. Wow. Uh, the costume, uh, the, he was a great guy, and we were we were great friends. Uh, uh, he was at my my wedding. Um, 
unfortunately, he passed on uh, in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. uh, I still, his his son still provides me with hair. Amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> it continues. He, um, but he was like the only guy who understood. We did actually a show, show together on makeup, which I thought was great. Uh, he was the master makeup man for Italy for movies, and he had a line of commercial makeup for, you know, for, for, for ladies mm -hmm. makeup, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a makeup, uh, convention and he'd done so much for me. He asked me if I'd be interested in doing this, this little joke with him. And it was, uh, I would, I, I, I got dressed up as a, an old guy and he talks about how, you know, people can look younger using makeup. And at a certain point I start yelling shit at him. Like, you know, yeah, you're really good at, you know, making, uh, what, uh, Young people look old, but you, can you make an old person look young? Love it. Yeah. You know? he, he finally gets pissed off enough. I mean, he calls me up on stage, and I get up, and it, it, he puts me under the mirror, and instead of putting makeup, makeup on, he's taking it off. That's brilliant. And, uh, yeah. I also have some plastic prostheses that made me look really old. At that time, I was pretty young. Mm -hmm. And once all the rubber was off my face and, and, and uh, the, the proper color was given, it looked miraculous, although everybody knew it was a joke. Sure. And it was, oh, they loved good. it. But it was it, it was just kind of symbolic of his, of his spirit, too. He loved to, to play these kind of to play these kind of things. I think that's why one of the reasons, too, that he was so successful in the movies here. He was the go-to guy, Reno that's Carboni. Wonderful. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, how about the yeah. uh, who, who built the suit for you, or is that something you found? Well, the suit was originally pieces that the the ride, the Italian television network, uh, had kind of leftovers. Oh, uh, when we did Punta Raffaella, which was that talk show that I was telling you about, mm -hmm. uh, for there were there were different proposals, uh, but in the end, the, you know, uh, the, the the plastic look took over. Um, and it worked really good on television. I had, I worked out the, the the version you see is now the blue one, uh, because I had studied uh, the technical side of television when I was at Temple University, mm -hmm. uh, and the color TVs, the color television cameras of that era had an interesting little thing that I had noticed, and that is that once it has one color stabilized in its scan, it assumes that any color like it is exactly the same color and just cheats. Mm -hmm, okay. Mm -hmm. That blue is blue like my eyes. Mm -hmm. And so it assumes the cut, the cameras of that time assumed that my eyes would have to be that same color. So it kind of gave a spark to the robot that he would not have had normally. Yeah. To Zed. Uh, I don't talk about that much uh, because I don't want to be giving away uh, any tricks to my imitators. Sure. Uh, but, but, um, it, 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 and I, I don't know if that really works the same way anymore in digital television because the technology has improved so much. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh, but it's certainly effective at the time, anyway. Now, you mentioned imitators. I, I will say, if, if you search for Mr. Zed on YouTube, I see at least one person who seems to maybe, like, maybe be wanting to, we could call it homage. I, I'm curious, is, is this a thing that happens in Europe quite a bit, or what? Yes, well, not just in Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a Russian guy who has, who copies everything. Uh, his, his hair isn't a perfect copy, but he's certainly done as best he can. Mm -hmm. Now the costume is exactly the same thing. Uh, he does jokes and music and magic tricks, anything he can do. But he, but you know there he there he goes. He he's 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 on TV there, uh -huh. and he's never bothered to get in touch with me. Although I've seen him on YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another guy in Colombia, mm -hmm. uh, a very a very nice guy. Uh, who who names himself Mr. Zed in, in homage, mm -hmm. and he he's, he's a busker in Bogota, and I'm you know is is what can I say you know it's one thing if people try to to sneak it around your back, it's another thing uh, if you know the, the you know look I'm a great fan uh, I think what you did is great you know I, here's what I learned from you you know what would you recommend this that and the other that's another thing completely to me. Sure. Uh, but here, here, here in Italy and around Europe, there were so many clones. Wow. Uh, especially when it first hit in the eighties. I'm sure one of them, you know, but I won't, I won't mention him. Okay. Okay. That's so funny uh, to me. But if you haven't got Viacom on your chat, on your, your side, you're a loser. Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, right. Of course. Wow. Or Disney or, uh, uh, 
CBS or NBC, all of which, I, by the way, I would love to meet with you guys uh, if you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I love your product. Uh, <laughs> how about we we call off our little truce, our little uh, war here, and uh, I, I, <clears throat> how, now how I'm curious then how so how often like what what do you where do you get to perform Mister What do you use him as now like what. What does Mr. Z, is it just, uh, do you MC stuff? Do you have a program I'm yeah, not familiar with? There's, you know, there's MCing work, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, right now I'm, I'm more in a, a different phase. Uh, I do still do, do, do Z and I do comedy and I do music. Um, I have, a, I have two actual shows, but they don't, we don't run with any real frequency. One is, uh, because basically, uh, bands here, there are a lot of great musicians here in Italy. And mm-hmm. I'm surprised, I'm sure no one will be surprised to find that out because I mean, this is where, where music came from originally, you know, sure. the, the scales, the, the way music is written it all, it was all invented here. Uh, but there aren't, uh, there aren't a lot of clubs that will, will have any, any, any musicians unless they're cover bands for something. Okay. Now, um, uh, with, I have two projects that, that run irregularly. One is uh, uh, an '80s band that do hits from the '80s, and I sing some of them. I have I, I do my hit my the one the hit that I I can't get away from. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Though I'm not particularly enamored with it, but it is what people expect. And uh, another is really just comedy and music, uh, in, in more of a very silly kind of theatrical show because it is a theater show mm-hmm. with some very talented musicians. Uh, where where we take on everything from rock and roll to uh, classical music to uh, uh, polka to everything you know everything and it, it, it's it's great fun, but unfortunately, uh, again when you have something different, and I love it when you hear people say oh you know it's uh, wait we, we, we couldn't do anything there's just no nothing new on the market well there is new things on the market, uh, uh, but nobody will nobody has the the, the balls to uh, put them up. Well, not nobody, but few. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, uh, there are people who are doing new stuff. They're doing stuff that is not exactly what you've heard a million times before. And you won't book them because they're not the same thing that you've seen a million times before. But if you were a little bit more adventurous in your booking, uh, you know, you'd not only be doing a great f- favor to your audience, uh, but to these guys who, you know, uh, who who are working to make things actually uh, entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so I think I've actually come down from the pulpit. Uh, you know, the, the the mass is over. You may go in peace. But yeah, that that's the thing. Anything that, that isn't just like what you know in L.A. It was like this. You know, it's like it's like uh, uh, the idea for the show. It's like uh, um, Dragnet meets Gilligan's Island with a twist. <laughs> you know, it's never its own idea. Yeah, it's like this and like I'm. I'm I was told that. Uh, 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 Roddenberry, when he proposed Star Trek, mm-hmm. it was he, he he described it in the pitch as it's wagon train in outer space. Yes, right. <laughs> because because you, you have no choice. Like, what are you, what are you going to do? Because, I mean, let's be honest, executives have no imagination. Uh, that's, oh, yeah. That's just how it goes. Uh, I know from experience in pitching. Uh, I'm not burning any bridges because those bridges don't exist anymore. So, yeah, no, I, I totally hey. get that. What's the can I, now? Can you tell me what the name of the song is that uh, and is was it on vinyl? Because obviously that's of interest. Yes, I'm afraid it is. R O R O B O T. Mm-hmm. Or in Italian, Ere O Beauty. All right, now I'm gonna I am gonna have to find this. So uh, so is it under the name David Zed? If I'm seeing oh my god, there's a lot of it. There's more than I realized yes. on here. Yeah. Oh my yeah, god. A lot of people. Lot of people yeah. So we're yeah. t- we're going back to 1980 for the first for the first version of it. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Oh my goodness gracious! Now I'm going to have to find one and get you to sign it uh, because I mean, come on, <laughs> come on! I mean, that's that's my thing. Oh, there's a lot of different uh, a lot of different covers to it as well. So uh, with different looks, so you can kind of see the evolution on these covers as well. Oh yeah, that's fantastic! Oh my god, this is amazing. Um. I, I uh, let's let me um well I always like to have people tell people I again we didn't talk a ton about the album but also we've we talked about it at length with Phil Proctor so nobody should be too annoyed by that I would like to know if you're going to recommend why well, Phil, listen Phil, Phil, Phil Proctor will know more about that than I ever would. just a little bit you know but, yeah 
Yeah. I just <laughs> I just let him talk. I just let him go when I when I interview him about those. I let him go, and it's always always kind of blows my mind. Do you yeah. what What's a reason to listen to this album? Let's say somebody doesn't know the Fire Sign Theater. What's a reason to give this one a listen first? Do you think? It's like watching or listening uh, uh, this specific album. Now, the Fire Sign Theater in general, there's there are great reasons to listen to them because it, uh, of the format that they have created here, and that is I'm going to try to make this as fast as possible. <laughs> uh, the, 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 this you're not supposed to get it the first time round. Yeah, this is something. It's a, it's a record. That means a record gets played and replayed and replayed. So there are all sorts of, it, it's meant to be like that. It's like a poem, yeah. a very good poem, where you don't really appreciate fully until you've, you, your, your brain has had a chance to, to absorb it. Uh, it is way ahead of its time. Uh, they, are way, they were way ahead of their time. Uh, but specifically, I think the Bozos mm -hmm. uh, album is way ahead of its time. And a lot of what you see or in your mind's eye, because again, it's just, there, there's no, no uh, optics here. It's all a record. It's, it's audio. Uh, the way, where they take you, the, the, their view, their vision of what the world will be now in their, this is 1971 is pretty scarily close yeah. to what we have. To me, this kind of thing is, 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 a. uh, uh, particularly interesting. I'm into history as, as you might have understood uh, for my choice of Rome, when I when I had that choice to make, sure. Um, there are there are movies that I would recommend. There's one from the 1930s called "Of Things to Come," uh, which is the idea is, and it's it's just before World War II uh, starts off, and it starts off in London, and they're talking about the war that's coming. The war comes, but it lasts until 1971. Mm -hmm. uh, mankind is destroyed. And they build up, and in the, in the year 2000, they have uh, a, a, a pretty much wrong idea of what really really happened. But at the same time, it's very interesting to watch to see what people saw in the future. This is something, by the way, if I can just go off off, off a little bit on this. Sure. And that is, uh, there's uh, like a mural in uh, in uh, Philadelphia, in the, the Pennsylvania train station, uh, dedicated to the history of travel. Mm -hmm. And you, you have the... You have like uh, the caveman developing a wheel. You have uh, the the, the uh, pioneers on their, their their wagon trains, and of course they, they build up to the the train, and they go beyond the train, and there's a rocket ship. That's the rocket ship is how we. This is done evidently in the 20s or the 30s, but the the idea that they already knew that they were going to go into outer space in rocket ships. Yeah. Or at least that's what they imagined for their future. Right. Okay. Now think of today. We have no idea what to expect. Yeah. I think most people have given up on jetpacks. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still hopeful on that one. Of course. But anyway, <laughs> we don't have that idea of the future that we did uh, in the 50s. Zed is kind of a, a, a piece of that view of the future. Mm -hmm. If you, this is this is the future, but there, you know, it, for me, it's fascinating to look back into history. I like to use... For example, just in terms of my own life, the way I see my own life, uh, having been born at the end of the 50s, I look at Superman, The Adventures of Superman with George Reeves. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at it, in, in Mr. White's office, uh, he, he has a big painting, a mural of uh, a factory, and it's belching smoke. This was not considered bad then. This was considered, a, a, you know, progress. Right. You know? This is our way to progress, to the future, you know? Yeah. Bountiful advantages brought to us by industry. <laughs> Again, the Firestein Theater will, 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 will take, you know, shoes for industry uh, into the future uh, in, in, in the next 20 years after that. But that view of the world, and, and there it is, you know? It's, it, it, I'm sure that mural was not put there on purpose to be a historical monument, but to me it is because it represents the civilization that I was born into yeah. and how it's different than the civilization in which I live today. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you had uh, Eisenhower, Eisenhower, a general, uh, you know, a hero from World War II who was advising you to be careful of the military industrial complex. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's not something you'll get now. No. Nope. Nope. Status status quo. We're we're already in the middle of it. Let's let's stay here for a bit, guys. Let's see what happens. <laughs>
That's yeah. That's that's a really. It's that's on a... this little tiny chromium switch here. <laughs> you guys are so superstitious. <laughs> that's a wonderful recommendation for this album. I mean, all, all things I can co-sign, and I, you know, myself as a as a person who likes uh, fake history, and and uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm a person who that that's definitely my deal. I I like fictionalized versions of um, what can happen, what has happened, and it's just it's uh, this is there so many ridiculous things that they nailed partially because they did their research and partially because they have these brilliant creative brains that no one will ever understand. Uh, it'd be hopeless to try and understand mm -hmm. these guys. Brains. I do stand up uh, on, on, on specifically Roman history because of that. Really? Not because okay. of the, this program, but, but because as a student of history, there are so many things. And that's one of the revelations of growing up and, and, and following up that history has always been presented as something very boring sure. and something written in stone. It's not. Uh, a lot of, of what has happened in, in our history has been accident. A lot of it has just been arrogance and stupidity. A lot of stupidity. Uh -huh. uh, uh, and the things that people take for granted are wrong. You know, to give you an idea, 1933 is when is the first year that that women do not. Well, that's that's the considered to be the the, the turning point. Up until 1930, the, the, his, the scientific progress that we've had since 1933 has been greater than all of the previous human history before it. Mm -hmm. To give you an idea, uh, it was so common that women died in childbirth, and that goes all the way up to 1933. It mm -hmm. was just taken for granted as a, a, a fact of life. Right. If you, there was a science fiction movie done in 1928, Metropolis, yeah. Fritz Lang. And although he does a lot of interesting things, he imagines the future. You know, the year two thousand. This is supposed. To, this is all supposed to take place in two in uh, two thousand twenty nine. Uh huh. Uh, he does not foresee, however, that women are not dying in childbirth. In fact, our made the, the major conflict in the film is a son who is born of a mother who dies in childbirth, and the the her would be lover who hates him because she he is the only thing left of her. Right. And he's not his. Mm hmm. With all the visionary vision that, that Fritz Lang had in that movie, and it's really something to be seen if you can, uh, that was not something that, that that was too much science fiction, right? And he see foresees you know high rise uh, high rise apartments and and suspended highways, but he doesn't foresee that. Nor did his audience. Of course, it's it, it's every so many of the things that we take for granted have been have been distorted for us for various reasons and by various powers that be. Uh, but a lot of a lot of what what happens in human history is a lot different than what we are are given to believe. Mm -hmm. For example, just I'll, I'll, I'll leave it with, leave you with this: you sure. know, the, the 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 covered wagon that we think of as being the settlers going to the the west, that was a Roman design. You would have seen that in Rome, and in 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 their travel systems as a covered wagon. We think of that as being you know something out of a cowboy movie, and right. they did. They were still using the same technology then. It's crazy. From third century before Christ That's... to eighteen hundreds in, in in what is now the United States, man. But anyway, we don't. I, I'm go, I'm going off. I'm, I'm, I'm rattling. <laughs> That's fine. They get them stopped. You just can't get them stopped. <laughs> I know I, I love that you have this specialty knowledge that uh, invariably is informing everything you do, which includes your comedy, which people should mm -hmm. seek out. I want people where yes. uh, where should people find you? I don't know the Twitter situation or all the Facebook or your website. Tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, my. Uh, I have a Twitter account that I basically I, I, I I'm I'm just learning how to use. Uh, uh, I'm it's I believe it's Z5Z. Mm hmm. Zed. Is, that is, if, if you're an American, and you probably are if you're listening to this, that's Z-E-D, mm -hmm. five Z-E-D. Uh, it's uh, Z-Robot on, uh, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, on the phone. one on phone. Uh, <laughs> I, don't, it, I don't remember it. Uh, Instagram. Oh, on Instagram, okay. That's that's Zed Robot on uh, YouTube. It's uh, the Mr. Zed channel on uh, uh, Facebook. It's Mr. Zed, M-R dot Z-E-D. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's a David Zed account, which is more, you know, uh, more more of me. For those of you who can't get it, just can't get enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I guess that's it. That's my coverage. And but thank you for letting me say that for for letting me to give the give the plug. No, of course, absolutely. People need to seek it out. I mean, it's uh, I, and I love that this is something you're still doing, and I love that it you know sounds like it continues to evolve. Um, yeah, I love that idea. Um, thank you again very much for doing the show. This has been a lot of fun. Well, thanks a lot, Jason. It's, it's been a lot of fun for me, too. Um, and uh, I will just tell everybody, go to CelerySoundRecords.com. That's where my little sketch comedy record label is. And uh, I guess that's all I'm going to plug for this week. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> and as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. This episode is also underwritten by $300 Data Recovery. Visit 300dollardatarecovery.com to get a quote on their highly recommended data recovery services. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15 plus years. Music